The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, on that note, welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. Thank you, John. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the state of stocks after Microsoft cuts its guidance. Jay Powell's once dovish co-pilot sounds more hawkish than ever. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com, and with me right here on set, for better or worse, for me, Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. It's nice to see you, Weiss. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Let's go to the wall. Let's check the markets. It's 12 noon in the east, and the picture looks a little bit different than it did uh, just a short time ago because we have uh, rallied back positive. NASDAQ's good for uh, 150. There it is right there. I told you about the Microsoft news, uh, Steve, and, you know, it points to the resiliency of, of this market at this moment, mm-hmm. right? And I can only think that maybe, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, if Microsoft did what it did, and it was largely FX, nothing real fundamental for the reason of, of the guidance change, plus Brainerd, the market might have reacted a bit differently yep. even now. What do you think? Well, you know, I've been thinking about the Microsoft news since they announced it, and I'm not sure it's not fundamental, because let's keep in mind, aside from the last quarter, which they also had a good quarter, and I believe it was a beat, they beat every quarter. So now they're saying, hey, we don't have enough in the kitty to beat again, and that will go to the fundamentals. So it doesn't stop on a dime. You'll see an atrophying of, of you know, basically earnings as margins get crushed. So I think that that it's more troubling. And I know I'm always looking at the glass half empty versus half full. That's actually not true. I'd rather be I'm an glad optimist. you admitted it yourself. So right. I, have to, I, I, I did. I tired did. of saying it. But, I, mean, I, I try to be brutally it. honest with, with myself. Yourself? Yeah. Well, well, with just with myself, though. Um, so look, so I think it's actually a sign of weakness because they're saying we don't have enough reserve here, as we typically did in other quarters, to account for what's sort of a minor charge. So you'll see more. Other companies don't manage their business as well as Microsoft. So I think you'll see a more profound effect. So, look, I do think the market continue to rally. I said that. Move up. I don't think it's going much higher, yeah. but into the Fed meeting. So they changed their earnings guidance. They pulled it down by about three pennies right. uh, in, the, in the range. And the stock has come off, of, uh, off the lows. Uh, not that it was down a lot. It was uh, down, I don't know, six, seven bucks. It's down four and a half bucks right now. Pete, Dan Ives says Microsoft is an FX-related earnings tweak. Nothing fundamental here. We view overreaction Mm -hmm. on knee-jerk, just like Salesforce citing FX, bullish view on Microsoft unchanged. And if you do recall, uh, Benioff pretty much said the same thing uh, the other day when Salesforce reported Mm -hmm. about the FX uh, issues that they were seeing as well. You own the stock. It's one of your largest positions. Yep. Um, you know, and, and Dan Ives, I think, is exactly right. I was listening to Steve. I actually have some agreement with Steve on some of the negativity as well, though, Scott, because at some point when you look at the growth that they had, especially throughout the last couple of years through the pandemic and everything else, can they keep that pace? Is there some sort of a normalized level that they might go to? 
and FX being obviously an issue as well, because we're talking about a company that's 50% here in the U.S. and 50% international. So they do have major exposure, right? And, and I think that combination of that and the fact that maybe there is a little bit of a slowing. I'm not saying they're slowing down too much. I'm not saying you got to hit the brakes. These guys are in trouble. I'm just saying, does it normalize back? Just look back five years ago to see where they were from a growth perspective and where they were in the last couple of quarters. It's, it's very significant. And do we get back to some sort of a normalized growth? And we might. And if that's the case, then it's not as cheap, and, I'm, and it's one of the reasons why I'm not diving in there today. I didn't dive in when it was down a little bit more than it is right now, and I'm still just kind of looking at it and trying to figure out, do they have the possibility of, of being able to grow at anything close to the pace that they have over the last few quarters? Yeah. Um, dollar's going to hurt a, a bunch of people, so you, you do have to wonder maybe who's next, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, Shan, I'll give you a crack at this, too, uh, because you own it. I think it's one of your larger uh, positions as well. Are, are you worried by this or not? No, I mean, I, I would say, you know, software companies in, you know, here in the U.S., they generate at least a third of their revenue outside of the U.S. And so I think we should expect, to Steve's point, that there will be other companies. Um, I, I'm a little bit less concerned, perhaps, than, than Steve and, and is around you know, we look at growth from a constant currency basis. We think that there's going to continue to be growth for Microsoft. I view this as just a well-timed uh, adjustment. If you think about what we're seeing, continued pressure in the market, um, there's a bit of skittishness. Um, it's a great time for Microsoft to come out. I certainly would rather they go ahead and guide on this now than in three months where we might be getting some good momentum for these big cap tech names. So, um, so I'm happy they came out and said it. I think there will be other companies. Uh, it's certainly not changing our expectations for Microsoft. Microsoft, Salesforce, or some of the other larger software companies that we own. That's why I wanted to go to Josh last, because he doesn't own the stock, but he has bigger thoughts, I'm sure, about other kinds of companies that you may want to look at. And also, for somebody who's been fairly negative on the market, as I thought you were yesterday with me on, on overtime, whether you think this is a big issue uh, or not, right? There are those who say, well, it's just FX. And it's not fundamental. And then there are those who would suggest that, well, you have to keep an eye on the whole picture, too. So I, I think Microsoft will be fine. This is actually one of the best managed companies in the world. It's one of the few uh, large cap technology stocks that has not completely round tripped going back to the onset of the pandemic. Um, so it's kept a lot of the gains, even though it's well off the high. But I, I have to side with Steve because... Historically, we've had plenty of currency fluctuation. And what a strong dollar takes away from you in one quarter, historically, it gives back down, you know, sometime down the road. Mm -hmm. And I don't think investors, I don't think investors pull the trigger on a buy or a sale of Microsoft in size based on currency fluctuation. So I, I don't think it's, a, it's an issue for today. Um, but to Steve's point, normally, a, a business of this size, they have plenty of levers they could pull so that they make the number, regardless of what, you know, the USD does versus the, the basket. So year to date, the dollar is up 6% versus the rest of the world, which is a good year for the dollar. But it's not like we've had some wild move in the currency. So they should have found a way to, quote unquote, hit the number, beat the number by a penny. The fact that they couldn't, I do think, is a little bit concerning, even though we're not talking about a huge dollar amount, I think symbolically. Mm -hmm. In the end, though, keep in mind, this is a $52 billion in revenue a quarter. This is a, a, an enormous business, and it's too big for them to do really well 
if the, the overall world is not doing well, right? Especially if things are not going great here in, in the U.S. So I don't think that you need to panic out of Microsoft or anything like that. I just don't think we should explain it away and say, oh, whatever, it's currency. Yeah, that's There's point. a little bit more going on here. I think that's a very fair point. I'm, I'm glad you make it. It's basically what, what Weiss is, is trying to channel as well. Now, the other issue today, at least it was an issue for about 25 to 30 minutes or so, uh, was Brainerd, right? Arguably the most dovish person on the Fed. I, I referred to her as Jay Powell's co-pilot uh, earlier in, in the show here. She comes on with Sarah, says 50 in June and July seems reasonable. After that, we'll see. And said, right now, it's hard to see a pause. So when she said that, the market sold off. Dow was down about 250 or, or, or so. And then the market rallies back. So, Pete, I'm wondering what you think that says about the state of stocks right in the here and now. The fact that we went down on those yeah. comments and we were able to come mm -hmm. back to where we are now. Now, who knows what the rest of the day holds, clearly. But it does speak to a new resiliency that seems to be found by investors when the VIX is at 24 and a half. Yeah. And I was just about to mention the, 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 the fact that we're looking at the volatility index trading where it is, Scott, when you give when you take a look at what the markets have really been giving us over the last few weeks, it's been absolutely unbelievable from highs to lows throughout the day. So there is a lot of volatility in the marketplace, even if we don't close necessarily on the lows or the highs. And, and, and I think that's something that has been really, really interesting to me, because I would expect the, the volatility index to be a little bit higher than it is, maybe a little bit closer towards 30. Looking at the VXN, maybe a little bit closer towards 35. Neither of them are in that range right now. And so that's that's what makes this thing kind of curious. I would say this. I think um, what people are looking at, they, they, they hear those numbers and their first instinct is to sell. And then it seems as if the, the investment world wants to jump back in again because we kind of know this, don't we, Scott? We've, we've been told time and time again about what the Fed's kind of looking at, what, what Powell's looking at, what sort of levels we are going to be at by the end of the year. And I think that's something that people are just digesting. And obviously, the market digested it extremely yeah. fast because you're exactly right. We were down 300 points in the Dow almost in a flash, along with the Nasdaq getting pulled. And the next thing you know, everything starts to you know come back up roses. So it is interesting how fast that that was and how quick that move was from the velocity standpoint of being down there all the way back up to where we are right now in positive territory. Things look pretty good and it shows you there's an appetite out there for buying. Also, and I think that's exactly what we're taking away. Yeah. Yeah. At least for the Go time ahead. being. Um, it also isn't the first time that Brainerd has gone hawkish. Right. Uh, it was I don't know. Feels feels like it was six weeks, eight weeks mm -hmm. ago where she really first made that public pivot and the market was kind of like, oh, OK, that's a change. And I remember having a conversation with a, a very well-known money manager to both of us uh, who said, pay attention. <laughs> when you've got the most dovish uh, and liberal member of the Fed coming out and saying it, pay attention then. So the market paid attention to it then, got a little bit rattled for a moment now. Uh, but what do we do with that now, if anything, certainly on the back of jo uh, Jamie Dimon's brace yourself for a hurricane statement? Uh I hate yeah. to say this because you got to take a long-term view, but I think you have to take it day, day to day and data point to data point. So what will the next CPI number be? What will the next PPI number be? Are we seeing a slowing? I really think there's a decent chance we go into stagflation. I think we're partially there already. But, uh, but Brainerd, you know, I, I view her as one of the more cogent, reasonable thinkers on the Fed 
for years and, and glad she's in the number two spot, maybe in the number one spot eventually. But she has a tendency to be pro-economy and pro-liquidity. And now this is a 180, as you appropriately point out. But what the market told you today is that, okay, it's 50 bips this month coming up, this meeting, and 50 bips in July. But, you know, that same money manager I think you're referencing uh, is very cautious, extremely cautious, because in August you're going to get to some issues. And then September, which is traditionally the worst month of the year, it could start to get really ugly. So you can play for now. You can play for the short term. I was looking at the VIX this morning. I was actually surprised that it stayed as low as it I know. I'm was. surprised. I, I was yep. looking at it just now before I went to Pete. Yep. So I had the most up-to-date number, and I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Because how many times Because how many times can you shock the investor class right. yeah. with the same news over and over yeah. again? Well, that's, exactly. why, that's, why, the, was, that's the thing. That's we, why if it was Brainerd's first time coming out and sounding as hawkish as I thought she did, maybe the market would have a much different reaction at this very moment. To your point, Josh. But, 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 Judge, but Judge, bear in mind what that, what that Brainerd comment comes on the heels of or, or right alongside of. We got a private payrolls number from ADP, which confirms uh, that there is a substantial, substantial slowing uh, of the pace of hiring. Um, and, and we probably have seen the peak of labor cost uh, acceleration. So it's not to say like it's going away or that inflation is, is, is about to collapse, but the acceleration, which has so completely spooked the bond market, the stock market, the politicians, that part of it, we've probably seen crest at this point. Um, small businesses were actually reducing payrolls by 91,000 over the, over the prior month. 128,000 uh, uh, new payrolls in, in the month of May is the slowest pace of hiring since the pandemic recovery began. So these are good things, and this shows the Fed is slowly but surely starting to get their way. In information technology, mm -hmm. uh, in, in tech companies, we're actually seeing net job losses three months in a row now. So companies that look at the NASDAQ as their barometer for how things are going, they're getting the message. And these are all of the things that the Fed had hoped to accomplish with their words. Right. So and the market which is, has rapidly moved. Right. Which, which and, is, and the labor market is following. Which, which is a good point, because right. to this point, the, you can criticize the Fed all you want for being late to the party. What they've been extraordinarily, extraordinarily successful on to this point, I think, is their messaging. Yeah. Right. The market has moved there. They've been able to get their message across uh, to the markets. But that, that, that makes you want to pivot. Put all this into context. Can I, get you through, can really, I just, just complete this quick. really quick? Yeah. This comes back to Microsoft. So with one month left in the quarter, they're lowering guidance. And it was an immaterial amount. So the question is, why do they do it? Are they hearing from the companies that Josh is referencing saying, hey, because they, they trade off a strong economy, strong employment. Are they saying now, hey, we're hearing things are slowing. So this is the first warning shot. Okay. So, and believe me, when the headline popped, I'm like, okay, here come the revisions. For whatever reason they come, this, this one sort of is that line that you mark down and you remember. The next step to all this is what all of you are thinking wherever you're watching. Do I buy stocks? Do I sell stocks? Where do we go from here? B of A today, Shannon, no clear signal, but closer to buy than sell. What do you think about that? That's the first time that their sell side indicator is now closer to a buy signal than a sell since September of 2020. What do you make of this, if anything? It's just a number. It's just a stat. But nonetheless, it gives us a good talking point to try and answer that question for our viewers. Buy stocks or sell stocks? 
Yeah, I think if you're, you should always be thinking about buying stocks for the long term.、Um, right now, however, Scott, I think in the next two to three weeks, I, I continue to look at. Um, Earnings season as being the next catalyst for the market to create a foundation for a more sustainable rally. I think we're going to be going from data point to data point, just like the Fed is looking at this data dependency that they're looking at. We're in the same boat,、um, and I think we are going to get these revisions. We're going to continue to get sell side analysts bringing their numbers down over the course of the next few weeks,、um, and so I, I don't think there's a huge rush here.、Uh, I think that you know you should be looking at your allocations.、Um, bonds are going to become a much more attractive in the second half of this year. And a more balanced portfolio might be the way to go if we are truly moving into a slower economic environment. And God forbid this stagflation scenario that Steve mentioned. So I don't. I'm not in a huge rush right now. If you have cash on the sidelines, to put it all into the equity market in the next couple of weeks, because I do think that the next catalyst for this foundation for a sustainable rally doesn't come until earnings season. I mean.、So. I'm looking at some things that are ripping、uh, for you today, Shan.、Uh, Freeport Materials are having a great day, by the way. Um, Freeport, you've got Martin Marietta,、uh, that's doing well.、Um, can you speak to that space and maybe those stocks for those who are, who are watching? Yeah, I think if you if you're trying to look for some cyclical exposure, so I think that this is really a China trade、um, right now, Scott, in the material space. I think that we're seeing、um, some rolling reopenings、um, in China. Probably some changes、um, in their zero COVID policy are coming over the course of the next few weeks.、Uh, I think that materials are moving higher. I think that if you're looking for cyclical exposure, energy probably feels a little bit overdone. You probably feel like you missed that. And I know there's some folks on our, our committee who would say it's still still a good time to buy energy, but I. Think I think cyclicals, you know, outside of energy, are probably popping on this China news、um, and and the improvement in the environment in China from a production standpoint. And so materials are a great way to get access to that if you don't want to go just into energy. Pete, I'm looking at、uh, the Innovation Fund, Ark,、uh, the ARKK.、Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up the ARKF,、uh, their fintech innovation. Both、mm-hmm. of those are rocking today. You had puts in both that you've now sold. Yeah, I sold those、uh, last week, Scott.、Um, not for any great reason of, of, of any kind, other than the fact they were going to be expiring anyway. But they treated me well. They gave me some protection. In some cases, they actually worked、uh, pretty nicely to the downside. It felt like it was time to exit some of those. I still have some exposure in the put side of things, especially in Europe. That stand out for me, EFA being on that one. So there's there's just a lot of different things going on. To Shannon's point, I think as you st- start to see a little bit of China as they come out of this a little bit, there is a little bit of excitement. I think in the material space, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of things. I got some Cliffs, got some Valet. I did have Freeport Mac, but I recently got rid of that one as well. So I'm not part of this run that that that、uh, others are participating right now. But I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of different parts of the market、um, that that do still have. The ability for us to be able to say we can buy some of those, but I do think that you know you've got to be hesitant. I've been hesitant all year. I've bought three different stocks. That's it. But、um, I like what I bought so far, and I, and I, I feel pretty good about what we're doing right now. But I don't think it's a marketplace right now where you can just say, you know what, it's time to start buying. I think that because I know you were just talking about that a moment or two ago.、Um, I, I I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there's still a lot of bumps in the road in front of us. Yeah. Weiss,、uh, speaking of cliffs, and we made a big deal when you when you got back into cliffs last week, about last week.、Uh, you're out of it now. You trimmed.、Mm-hmm. Well, oh, you trimmed it. You、mm-hmm. trimmed Qualcomm and you sold Target. Yeah. So, well, you know, I I did them for trades. Target was a great trade yesterday. It was down quite a bit. Cleveland Cliffs, 
I sold that because of Jimmy's comment about Jackass the movie. Uh, no, but I've kept some of that. Uh, and Qualcomm, I just shaved because it was a really good trade. I mean, the stock was up over 8% in just a couple of days, so I thought I'd take some off the table and play with the house money. Okay. Uh, we will keep our eyes there. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, OPEC agreeing to increase production. More bullish calls on energy today. That sector continues to lead the way. We'll find out how the committee's playing it for here. Uh, from here. Uh, there you go. Uh, a big run, obviously, for, uh, uh, for energy up almost 59%. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Crude oil on the rise despite OPEC and Russia agreeing to raise production, the energy sector continuing to lead this year. Shannon, you made an interesting comment a few moments ago when we were talking about energy stocks, finding it a little bit difficult to be enthusiastic about them here. Listen to what Dubrovko Lakos of J.P. Morgan told us yesterday when he was on as to why he is still so bullish. We as a house estimate that by 2030, you need about $1.2, $1.3 trillion in oil and gas capex for oil and gas demand and supply to balance out. On the supply side, nothing is being done. Nothing. Nothing. Valuation-wise, the sector hasn't gone up. Okay. So, in other words, don't pay attention to where we are now, even with these huge gains. Focus on the future and the not-too-distant future of what's still going to be needed and the reason why those stocks are still going to work. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we think about is that we actually don't disagree on the, the need for more supply. And we do think that the oil market, you know, post, you know, 2023, 2024, after that, we are going to be in an undersupplied situation. Um, there isn't a lot of capex going into uh, these companies. And frankly, it's been good for the owners of these stocks. If you look at Chevron and Exxon in particular, um, capital allocation has improved significantly for those companies over the last several years. Um, and they're really thinking about, you know, the potential return on projects. And so it has slowed the capex. However, I think in this environment, if we look at what's been leading and what's been running, I just feel that, you know, we have some energy exposure. We're in Valero. We're in EOG. We think that that's the right place to 
play the energy space. We've got a little bit more beta to the sector um, in those two names. And so we're trying to get the full move of our equity, of our energy names. I think the thing to think about, though, is, is it right now to time to add from a cyclical perspective? And again, I just see other opportunities in other sectors, given what energy has already done this year. Mm. Josh, it wasn't that long ago that you added the IEO and, and you don't add things all that often, but this was certainly one place that you looked. Yeah, I don't actually don't. I actually don't think stock picking in this uh, space matters at all. I think this is a one-way trade, and that one-way trade is predicated on oil and gas prices remaining elevated, and U.S. companies continuing to invest less than they ordinarily would have during previous uh, commodity price spikes. So, if this were 2005, 2006, they would be fracking and drilling their heads off. They're not doing that. Because I think the signal they're getting from Wall Street is keep up the great work, guys, with the profit growth. These are companies that many of which uh, had been profit constrained no matter what the price of crude did for year after year after year. And now all of a sudden they're the bell of the ball. Oil and gas companies have gone from 1% of the S&P 500 all the way up to 5%, which historically is still low. I think there's still room for these stocks to work, and I really don't think it matters that much which one you own at this stage in the game. That will matter later if there's a down cycle, but right now, I'm in IEO. Those are the producers. I don't want the large integrators that are hedging. Um, I don't want to screw around with K1s and uh, transmission stuff. I want pure companies that are exploring and selling more and more oil and gas. The more domestic, the better. And that's what I'm getting via that ETF. Pete, B of A says stay long energy. Um, and you're all over the space, mm -hmm. man. Um, mm -hmm. All over it. Yeah. Chevron, Kinder Morgan, <laughs> Calls and Chevron, Exxon, Apache, Baker Hughes, Shell, Marathon, Oxy, Southern, Schlumberger. So tell <laughs> me about your view here then. <laughs> Well, my view is, uh, is that uh, all of these can work, to Josh's point. But I would say this. There are reasons to be in certain names versus other names right now, I think. When you, when you look at some of those big integrated names, there's a lot of different forces that, that give you a little bit more power with those. But they're going to lag a little bit. And they're going to lag to some of those beta names that you mentioned, a lot of those Occidental and EOG and those kinds of names, where you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck. All you've got to do is look at the XOP, which basically has most of those kinds of names, those big beta names. And look at that performance versus an Exxon or versus an XLE or some of the other energy ETFs and stuff. There are names out there that are absolutely on fire. Now, when it turns the other way, those also work in the same direction just as fast and onto the downside. So that's the thing you've got to be careful of. I even love a lot of this, the EV space in terms of battery companies. This charge point has been absolutely on fire lately. A lot of unusual option activity has been in there over the last three, four, five sessions. And they're just coming in and buying huge it. sums of, of calls to the upside. So, you know, there's, there's a reason to be in some of these names. Now, I, I look at that name and I'm like, look, this can be volatile. And I, know, I think that was Josh. Um, it's volatile. We know that it can go up 7%, down 7%. But the options in there have absolutely give you a lot more flexibility for the upside. And you can withstand some of those pullbacks to the downside, too, I think. So I, I, I continue to be in the options there. And, and it's been pretty fruitful so far. Josh, you want to give me something quick on ChargePoint? Uh, this is a four and a half billion dollar market cap. They are the leader in the space. This is a way that you can bet in the electrification of the uh, vehicle fleet nationally, internationally. They're in the U.S., they're in Europe. 
They have like 80,000 charging points everywhere that you could think of. They've got a deal in place with Volvo and Starbucks. Um, they're putting them in the underground garages at hotels in every city in America. This is just equ- it's, it's equipment and then a services contract and an app for people that want to park and charge wherever they go. You don't have to bet on Tesla beating Mercedes-Benz. You don't have to bet on Toyota's EVs versus Honda's EVs. You just have to bet in overall adoption. Um, I did this with ALB a few years back, just betting on lithium-ion and not trying to pick an OEM. I'm going to do this again with ChargePoint. It, Pete's right. This stock is wild. The beta is off the charts. It is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's 13 and a half. It could be 10 tomorrow. It could be 15. I have no way of knowing. <laughs> so it's more of an investment for me than it is a trade. Uh-huh. Um, but I like pairing this with the energy explorers because I think we're going to be a long time in a hybrid world of both. I don't think it's going to be one or the other anytime soon. All right. We got that highs of the day right now better than 9%. You're, you play this through the OVV, and yep. it's a recent move, too. It is. It is. I did it about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Look, it's $14 billion. It's exposed natural gas. Free cash flow yield this year will be an amazing 20% plus. You just don't see that. And to Josh's point, they're not really hedged. So they're realizing that gas prices, primarily not gas play, but they've also got oil. And they're reason, realizing the oil there. It's underperformed for a decade. So you've got a new attitude with management. They're paying down a lot of debt. So I like to go off the beaten path a little bit, as you know, Scott. Mm-hmm. And this was it. And by the way, when I walked in today, I thought I walked into the Golf Channel. I wasn't aware it was CNBC when I looked at that jacket. So uh, You should so be so lucky to have something like this. Yeah. I didn't realize they made uh, garanimals in adult sizes these days, but you look pretty good. You. We Thank will you. be right back. Fintech stocks have been slammed lately. One stock still getting a bullish call. We'll decide if you should be buying those beaten down names. We're back right here on The Half. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Good day, everyone, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The man charged with killing 10 people and wounding three others at a Buffalo supermarket is scheduled to be arraigned today. 18-year-old Peyton Gendron has been held without bail since allegedly using an AR-15 assault rifle, rifle to target shoppers in a predominantly black neighborhood. And as that case remains in the spotlight, word just out that President Biden will give a primetime address on gun violence tonight. The address is being characterized as a call to action for lawmakers. Georgia's top election official appeared at the Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta this morning. According to a subpoena obtained by the Associated Press, Brad Raffensperger was there to testify before a grand jury, which is investigating whether former President Trump and others illegally tried to meddle with the 2020 election results. Raffensperger recently defeated a Republican primary challenger who had been endorsed by Trump. And a once familiar sight around the U.S. is no more. The last remaining Howard Johnson's restaurant, I Remember Them, located in Lake George, New York, has closed its door. This is a family restaurant chain noted for its bright orange roofs. Once had about 1,000 locations around the, hot, uh, around the country and really good hot dogs, Scott. The Lake George location had been the only one left since a banger Maine Hojo shut its doors back in 2016. Back to you, sir. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. FinTech, let's talk about those stocks getting crushed lately, rebounding some today. PayPal, that's a fave, down more than 70% of its 52-week high. Others are down a lot as well. So, Pete, you own PayPal. Mm -hmm. Mizuho reiterates it today. Yeah. Buy with $120, mm -hmm. the price target. Let's throw up that stock, please. There it is. 120 it's, it, bucks, the, Pete. I'm not looking at yeah, I can't see the chart because of my situation here with the camera, but I can tell you I know that it's awful. Um, I can tell I can show you that by just showing you my, my, my balance sheet of my positions. But this stock, you know, I think last quarter really was what, what changed it for me was the, the fact that I felt like the CEO and the company itself needed to be a lot more transparent than they were going in. And the disappointment that we all felt when we saw what the, what the earnings actually looked like was just crushing. And obviously the stock got crushed based upon a lot of that as well. So I think that, you know, I'm giving them a little bit of time. We're going to see what things look like over the next quarter or so. But the acquisitions that they have made still are meaningful. I think when you look up across at the company itself, they've done a really good job of positioning themselves. But they didn't do a good job of letting us know some of the, uh, the issues that they were facing in the previous quarter or so. And I think that's something that, that did bother me a lot. And I know Jim Cramer felt the same way. We felt like we got the rug pulled out from under us when they actually reported the earnings that they did. So disappointment, yes. Still holding on to it, yes. But I, for how long? Uh, I'm going to tell you after the next earnings. I'll, I'll, th then I'll let you know. Josh, uh, this space has been just brutal. A firm is down 86%. From its high, PayPal, 73, as we just said. Robinhood, if you want to lump it in there, 89. Coinbase, 81. Uh, I'm sure you can find other ones, too, that you would consider to be a fintech that's gotten destroyed. Yeah, I had a horrible trade, uh, trade experience with PayPal. I basically, I rode it to a double and then a round trip. I can't believe how bad, uh, how quickly sentiment around this stock fell apart. They are not growing as fast as they were, but it's still a growth company. But this, this stock just became uninvestable overnight, and nobody gave me the memo. So don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't take my opinion as gospel on this, but I would say we have way too many publicly traded fintechs 
way too many venture-backed fintech startups waiting in the wings, trying to come public. Most of them are overlapping each other's business. Most of the problem here is that there's just not enough growth to go around for all of them. They're going to spend a ton of money uh, sponsoring podcasts and, and buying stadium naming, and uh, it's all really not going to result in much, considering that the amount they're spending for customer acquisition cannot be recouped realistically for years and years and years out into the future, and they don't have organic growth. So that's really what's plaguing these names. I don't see a resurgence anytime soon. And the last part of this is focus on the amount of money being spent by traditional finance companies. They are going crazy on technology. Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Citi, J.P. Morgan Chase, they're not lying down. Like They're not sitting there eating glue while these companies build apps. They're building apps of their own that are extremely competitive. And so that makes these stocks really, really tough to be a longer-term investor in. Maybe there's a good trading opportunity. I don't see it based on the technicals. Weiss, I mean, I think I'm looking to see what the peak of the market cap was for, for this company. Because um, it's like $100 billion now. $300 billion. $300 billion. So, 300. It was like, so, so it was like bigger than Bank of America. Yeah. Right? And to me, it just it's almost crazy. underscores the craziness of, of this particular market cycle that a company like PayPal, I mean, I'm not, not anything against right. PayPal, but, but you know what I'm saying? The way that stocks like that just shot up, big valuations, that it had a bigger market cap than Bank of America. Not that crazy, long ago. Because, you, you know, Bank America looks at them, J.P. Morgan looks at them, and they say, hey, why do we need them in our backyard? We could spend, so you have these companies, and Josh is right, I spend a lot of time in private markets. I can't tell you how many fintech companies I look at that have the same model. So what these companies are doing, it's like the old Toys R Us. So Toys R Us had diapers they sold at a loss. It was lost leader, bring people in, and then they had other profitable you know, products that they sold, but we saw what happened to them. These companies only have the diapers. So, and you can't tell one diaper from another diaper. So I'm just still bearish on it, been bearish on it for a while. We'll continue to be that way. Okay, coming up, we have two new calls out on two Dow stocks today. We're gonna name them and trade them and we'll do it next. Plus, we do have some key earnings out, uh, coming out uh, after the bell tonight in overtime. And we're gonna get you set for that as well. All right, we're back. Calls of the day now. Let's begin with Netflix. Price target gets cut. Josh, you own it. 265 uh, down from 350. That's at Guggenheim. They do maintain a buy, but the uh, the airs obviously come out of this balloon. I mean, a, a long time ago, this was this was 700. Yeah. And a lot of the companies that are now neutral on it were at buy. When, you know, so I, yep. I don't really pay attention to that stuff. But what about uh, the, what about the look, stock Net- from here? Let's just play it that way, regardless of, of who, whose call yeah. said what. Netflix has a, yeah, Netflix has, Netflix has a, a, a big run of high-profile content coming in the second half of this year. I think what they really have to demonstrate to the, uh, to the street is that things like Stra- uh, Stranger Things Season 4 and uh, the conclusion of Ozark and some of the newer stuff, they have to really demonstrate that that is enabling them to continue to uh, raise prices. And more importantly, their plans for an ad-supported version, which I would expect sometime this fall, probably be make or break for whether or not this stock can recover. 
Um, so I'll be paying attention to that. I bought a whole bunch after it crashed. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not terribly committed to this mm -hmm. as a long-term investment. Right now, it's still a trade. Okay, so uh, Pete, to you, Disney. Price target gets cut to 135 from 160 at Truist. Of course, they maintain a buy as well. But what's your take here? Well, it makes sense that they'd have to bring that price target down, Scott. I mean, given where this stock actually is and where it's fallen down to. I think that going into earnings, you and I, I think it was on the OT that we talked about this name. And we were talking about the fact, are, are people going to focus just on streaming? Because if so, stock was going to go lower. Or were they going to give it a chance and actually look at what Disney is as a company? Because Netflix, yes, that's a streaming company. Disney, streaming is just one of the pieces of the puzzle, right? And, and I think what came out of that was people looked at the streaming numbers. They understood what they, they were looking at. But they were starting to see that they are doing better in a lot of different categories that are very meaningful as well. Far more meaningful than just looking at streaming. So I think there is a chance to see this stock actually make a pretty decent rebound. And I totally get why they actually brought this price target down. Based upon where it is right now and obviously acquisition through streaming and everything else, there is some things going on there. But I think the core product of Disney still has a lot around it, and that's going to give this stock a nice opportunity to go a lot higher than it is right now. Okay. Uh, now to a call, Shan, that I, I want to describe as we love it, but we sound like we don't. And it's Home Depot, Wells Fargo, <laughs> named best mm. idea. Right. I mean, that, that says, hey, we love this stock. Overweight. All in, we come away from our survey slightly more cautious on hard lines overall, but broadly remain constructive on the core best in class names such as Home Depot. They go on. We're inclined to believe that home improvement spend should remain relatively healthy. Uh, so best idea, overweight, reasonably confident that spending will remain healthy. Well, that's really just a call that they're concerned about consumer spending slowing, which I think is a reasonable <laughs> expectation in the second half of the year. I think it's important to remember that Home Depot is going to be a beneficiary um, from being housing adjacent. They, this is, um, I think that they've been caught up in this expectation that existing home sales are coming down, higher mortgage rates. Um, there's very little supply in the marketplace. However, many of us are now anchored or tethered to our homes even more than we were previously by those by those lower uh, mortgage rates that we have. And so I think one of the things to think about is, are you going to continue to do things to improve your home? Um, this is not a fix and flip trade. This is not 2006. Uh, this is certainly one of the, and they have done an excellent job on executing on their e-commerce strategy as well. So uh, this is one of our, our, our favorite uh, names in the portfolio um, and certainly where I would want to be when I think about consumer discretionary. All right. We do have some big earnings, as I said, coming out after the bell tonight in overtime. CrowdStrike, we're going to get you ready for that. Josh owns that. RH is coming out. Josh owns that. Lulu's coming out. Pete owns that. We'll do all of that next. All right, Josh, to you first, CrowdStrike. What are your expectations? Well, let's start with the street's expectations. $464 million in revenue, $0.23 cents in earnings per share. Last quarter, they beat on revenue. They beat on earnings. They guided higher. And right now, it's not a cheap stock. It probably never will be. It's trading 16 times revenue. That is the cheapest that this stock has been in three years. So it's had a lot of air taken out of it, like every other tech stock under the sun. But they keep producing. They keep performing. So staying long, hoping for a good reception, I think the numbers will be good. What about RH? 
Um, RH is a little bit more difficult, I think. I don't think if I were not in the stock, I would not jump into it ahead of this particular earnings report. Mm. About a third of the stuff they sell comes from China. You're going to hear supply chain until you want to throw up. But I do think that they'll have a good quarter and hopefully good guidance. Looking at what William Sonoma had to say the other day, keep in mind this is not a subscription model but a membership model. Um, so a lot of people who are RH shoppers continue to come back here. Plus, one of the biggest shareholders is Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway. And I don't think they would let too much weakness happen here without maybe stepping back in. So I'm in it. I'm not looking for, like, a, a great reaction. Mm-hmm. Very, very tough space to be right now. Okay. Pete Lulu. I'm expecting a little bit of a slowdown, maybe, Scott. I mean, what we've already heard from Nordstrom and others is that we are starting to see that going back to work type of thing, actually selling some of those clothes. Maybe that's going to affect Lulu this particular quarter. I think still down the line, they're still getting bigger and bigger in the men's spot. So I'd want to see what men's looks like, that section along with e-commerce. But I would expect it to slow down a little bit this past quarter, Scott. Okay. We'll be right back with unusual activity for Pete. And, of course, we still have final trades ahead as well. All right, Pete, unusual. Tell us what you see today. All right, I'm going to start off with Keurig Dr. Pepper, Scott. That one's interesting to me because of the fact the stock was trading just underneath 35, about 34.50 at the time. We had a buyer of 6,000 of the June 35 calls. They're going for about 45 cents. What makes this even a little bit more interesting, though, is they're willing to sell downside puts as well. So they're financing a little bit of their buy, selling a downside put. That's very bearish because that's somebody who says, you know what, stock falls apart. I'm going to start owning this stock. So very bullish trade there, but the June 35s for about 45 cents, 5,000 of those trading. Next, I've got Redfin. So we're getting into the real estate world, obviously, online. Stock was trading right around 1060. And by the way, it's trading very close early in the day, trading right off 52-week lows for the, for the most part. So stock that's really been getting hammered of late. But we got a buyer of a couple thousand of the June 11 calls. As again, stock was trading about 1060. Those were going for about 45 cents up to about 75 cents. The last one I've got for you is Expedia. So we know Expedia, travel, leisure, that whole thing. Stock was trading at about 130 and a quarter. And what makes this one interesting is they bought 5,000 of the June 140 calls, right? What makes it really interesting is 4,100 of those were in one single print for $1.65. So aggressive buying in there, somebody very large coming in, buying a pretty nice chunk, looking for upside. Stock's already up at 2 bucks. I was just looking at it. So mm-hmm. it's on its way to the upside already. But it could be really, really interesting going forward. All of these expire in June. I now have positions in all of these. All right. Um, looking for the market that's picking up some steam. We uh, will come back. I'll tell you about it, and we'll do final yeah. trades. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, we'll be on the lookout. Uh, There's the market, uh, by the way, today. I said we were picking up some steam here as our show was uh, coming to a close. NASDAQ uh, up nearly 2%. That's better than 200 points. The Dow was just up better than 200 as well. Pulled back just slightly, but it's uh, still good for about a half a percent. There's the S&P with a 1% gain. So all things considered, Microsoft cutting their guidance. Brainerd on the network was hawkish. And stocks have managed to remain resilient, at least uh, up until just about 1 o'clock. I said we'll have CrowdStrike earnings and Lulu earnings at a few hours in the OT. Stephanie Link, Dan Ives, Jason Snipe, Greg Branch, Mark Newton, 
We're going to talk about the markets. We'll break everything down. Maybe some other guests as well to react directly to those earnings. But let's do final trades. Josh, first. I'm stick. No matter no matter how volatile, I'm sticking with ChargePoint CHPT. Okay, Shan, what about you? Uh, Visa. We talked about payments earlier. Um, global leader and cross-border payments are picking up. Okay, Pete. Going right back with NVIDIA, Scott. Still long the stock, but I see huge call buying in there. I think the stock's going to break 200. Oh, that's another you know, key one to watch. Uh, you know, coming off of Microsoft and focused on big cap tech. Not that this is among the biggest, but it's uh, big enough. Uh, Steve, what about you? XPO Logistics, they filed confidentially on a spinoff of their technology-enabled broker business. It's going to unlock huge value, as Brad Jacobs usually does. I'd buy it here. I think it goes a lot higher. Okay. I'll give you one last check of the market, too. I told you we were just about at the highs of the day. See if that continues up until the close, and I'll see you in a few hours. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.